That was my favorite. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, open our ears and our minds and our hearts to the word you have for each and every one of us this day. And as I, your servant, stand before you, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I want you to think back to May of 2011. (laughs) Where were you? What were you doing? What were you thinking? Well, if you'll remember, the end of May 2011, specifically the 26th of May, was supposed to be the end of the world. We're still here, right? <laughs> it didn't come to pass. But there were people who were adamant that the world was going to end. And this was so much a thought of some people. There, there was a family, and at the time, Pastor John and, and, the, um, and I and the children, we lived in Frederick. But there was a family over the mountain in Middletown, Maryland, who was part of this group of people who were giving up everything to spread the news that the world was going to end. They quit their jobs. They started using the children's college funds so that they could go and share pamphlets all over the, all over the place. They took their three children who were teenagers at the time to Manhattan so that they could go to a street <laughs> fair and make sure everybody knew of the impending end of the world. And they didn't have a lot of hope for their children. In fact, the mother told the one daughter in particular, you're not going to go to heaven in the midst of all this, but you still need to come and hand out pamphlets with us. The kids were a little reluctant, and they were like, you know, I really want to go to college in the fall. I have my own plans. And I know the world is supposed to end on Saturday, but I'm invited to go to a friend's birthday party, and I'm kind of hoping I can go do that, even though I'm thinking my mom and dad might be in a weird mental state if we're all still here. Because what is to happen? We know for eons, people have anticipated the end of the world. And that is the climate that Paul is writing to in this letter to the Thessalonians. Because the letters that we have here in Scripture in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, especially 1 Thessalonians, is the oldest writing that we have in the New Testament. It's from about the year 50 A.D. Because if you'll remember, Jesus would tell everyone he was going to return And so for some of those early followers, they believed that that was imminent. And so they didn't feel like they needed to capture and maintain a lot of what the stories were because they were just waiting for Jesus to come back and capture them all up into the clouds. But there was still this recognition among the apostles that none of that truth of Jesus' return 
was licensed to be undisciplined and to be lazy in their faith. They would go back to, to saying, even Jesus himself said, we don't know the day or the time when things are going to occur for the judgment. But what we have to do is just be people who are watchful. And so as Thessalonians, as Paul is writing to them, he's saying that the people need to remember to be disciplined in their discipleship. To recognize that they had work that they needed to do. Now, scholars, as they look at this piece of writing, want to give a couple of caveats for it. First of all, they're not talking about people who are in need among the community. We can easily say, oh, it's up to us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and that we have to work for everything that we have. Um, he's not talking about people who are in genuine need that the, the apostles and other early Christian communities knew they needed to care for as they were moving into a, a new way of living and being, especially if they were temporarily having trials and tribulations in their lives. That's not what he's talking about here. But what he's talking about is the individuals who tended to be kind of shiftless among the people, who would wander and theologian Fred Craddock puts it this way. He said the church wanted to, it couldn't be a body of people just sitting around twiddling their thumbs. Because that wouldn't be a compelling body worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it wasn't to be a group of people who would meddle and be undisciplined. But again and again, there's this recognition that there's still work to be done in the world. Even though we know Christ is going to return, we don't sit idly by waiting for that. We, as people of God, still have to live into our calling as brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's why he's telling them, you, need, you know you, how you need to imitate us. Because we were not undisciplined when we were with you. We didn't eat anyone's food without paying for it. Instead, we worked night and day with effort and hard work so we would not impose on you. And as Paul goes on and, and continues to talk about this, he said, By the Lord Jesus Christ, we command and encourage such people to work quietly and put their own food on the table Brothers and sisters, don't get discouraged in doing what is right. He recognizes that it can be hard to work and to tarry and to, to be God's ambassadors in the world and not immediately see the fruit in that, but that we as God's people are not to grow weary as we do this work of the kingdom. Now, I talked earlier in the service about how we are, as United Methodist people, how we gather in conference together. And so some of the ways that we see this play out is this whole idea of being in between what the church is and what the church will become. And this passage in particular speaks to us when we think about how so many people are, are saying 
You know, we just had a special general conference in February, and now we're waiting for the regular general conference to happen in May, and we want to kind of wait and see. But the truth is, we can't, as the Church of Jesus Christ, ever be people who want to wait and see what's going to happen. If we are, we're just, we're just idly sitting by. But God has given each and every one of us a task to do for the kingdom, that all of us have a way that we are to serve and use our gifts and our graces in order to share this gospel of our Lord. That's one of the most beautiful things about the way we live our faith. When we think about this is us, who are we? When we think about being the church of Jesus Christ and the expression of faith known as Methodism, what we are is a partnership between clergy and laity. When I talk about the conferences that we have, an interesting thing is it's mixed 50-50. Half of the representatives that are there making our decisions are clergy and half are lay people. We're not like um, the Roman Catholic Church where the priests have so much power and the cardinals and we're not like other churches, like the Quakers, where it's a movement of the laity, and there aren't really any clergy among them, but whoever is moved and led by the Spirit to speak would stand and offer their words. No, we're a partnership between the, the laity and the clergy. And when I talked about Robert Strawbridge in that early Methodist class meeting, he's a, a, a farmer, a layman from here in Carroll County, who began the spread of this movement by opening his home and saying, come and learn about what it is to be an accountable disciple of Jesus Christ. And it's neat when you go over there, Annika used to call it the coolest place on earth about Methodism. But he lived in this one room house and you walk in and there still is his, his kitchen table there and the place where the, his cook stove, where he and his wife would have their meals was. And then the bed where their family would sleep is right there with the curtains that you could draw and the canopy. And think about how intimate that was that they would invite the community into that space that was all that they had in order to share the, the life of discipleship one to the other. And I think about now when we want to invite people into our homes, we sometimes we want to be Martha Stewart about it. But there's something so simple and beautiful about the way they lived their lives truly in community, inviting others to share and encouraging, studying the scriptures together, praying for one another, and asking that essential question, how is it with your soul? That's the work that Paul is, is inviting the Thessalonians to be part of, to be people who would encourage one another, to love one another, and to be disciplined in the way they lived out their faith. And so when we think about that, I want you to consider all of the gifts that you have, everything that God has given to you. We don't want you to give it all up so you can give pamphlets about the end of the world. Because our greater witness is to be the light of Jesus Christ in our workplaces, in our homes, and sharing in the communities that we travel in each and every day. 
the way that Paul and others did as they shared the gospel in the marketplace. What I want to leave you with here is when we see Paul talking about how he worked to put food on his table, um, what he's reminding them of is, is that he worked as a tent maker. So he was a man who just was part of the communities where he went to share the gospel, and he, and he was interacting with people in the marketplace each and every day. And that's how those early church communities started, through those daily lifestyle interactions that people had. So think about how it is you travel, where you do your business and your work, and how God might want to use you to share who Christ is to the world through that. And so we actually have homework for you all this week. Um, and so you can take a paper copy or you can complete this online. But it's a survey where we want you to tell us about your gifts. What is it that you are really talented at? What is it that God has given you that is your gift? And then we want to know, what is it you do for a living? What have you done in your day-to-day -day work? And what hobbies do you have? Sometimes we find out people have these really amazing talents that they kind of keep for themselves for fun on the side. And it's really something that God has blessed them with. So um, you can either fill out a paper copy or you can do the one that is it's on the website um, and on, on our Facebook group. You can find a link to the SurveyMonkey version of this. But we want you to consider what is it that you bring. Uh, just as Paul is saying, we want, to be, we want you to be disciplined and to imitate them in the way they worked and shared the good news. Um, and so as we consider that, uh, we want you to be encouraged because that's who we are as people of God, a family of faith that encourages one another to use all the gifts that God has given to us, to not sit idly by twiddling our thumbs, but to be people of discipline who live for God and share the good news wherever we go. Amen. So I'll pass, you guys can pass those around and throughout. Or like I said, you, if you prefer to do it online, you can do that too. But we want to make sure everybody fills this out uh, to see how you may want to serve God in new and exciting ways. What we are and who we are and all of the gifts that we share are a way that we give of ourselves um, just as we share our tithes and our offering. Um, so as we bring ourselves as an, as an offering to God tonight, we also bring our tithes and other gifts. Uh, so let us stand and sing together our, our closing song when we all get to heaven. The other version the lyrics work. And um, one way or another, I think it's time for a different version, right?